Good evening, everybody. It's great to see all of you here tonight. Thank you so very much for coming. Uh, don't ask you to stand with me tonight, if you would. Looking forward to Bible study tonight and trusting that God will talk to our hearts tonight. But before we begin, I'd like to open with prayer tonight, and I'd like to have everybody come gather around the front, if you would. A um, couple of things to mention to you and um, that we need to pray about. And um, while you're coming, I'll share this with you. Have you ever been made aware of prayer needs and was kind of nonchalant about praying about it? felt guilty later that I could have prayed a little harder and maybe manifested a little more faith. Um, I'm going to ask everybody tonight not to walk away from this short time of prayer with that feeling that I could have prayed a little harder. Um, <clears throat> I'd like for us to pray for Sister Farah and her family. Uh, her mom passed away Monday night. And then there is a situation connected to one of our church families, and I've been asked not to divulge much of this, but if you'll just trust me tonight, and this is the primary reason I'm having you come stand around the front. There's a family kind of connected with Grace Church, if you will, that really needs our prayer tonight. And so if I could ask you to pray about this tonight with some fervency I see an opportunity for God to work I see an opportunity for God to perform a miracle and um, I think it would be a glorious thing if that happened on several levels but bottom line if there's going to be any success with this situation God will need to perform a miracle and then I'll ask you tonight to pray for Grace Church. There are some very prevalent needs going on in our church and some of our families that we really need a touch of God. We need to God to intervene. So if it's not too much trouble, Ethan, to put a little prayer music going just for a couple of, minute, a couple of minutes, and I'd like for us to take a moment, maybe three or four minutes here tonight, and let's, let's touch the Lord, shall we? Jesus, we love you tonight, and we're thankful. For this opportunity it's not a night too dark a journey 
beautiful name of Jesus. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. God bless you. Thank you tonight for your praying. Before you return to your seat, look at somebody and tell them I hope you're doing good. Thank the Lord. God bless you, and you may be seated as you return to your seat. Again, thank you for your prayer tonight. <clears throat> thank the Lord. Again, it's great to see all of you, and thank you so very much for being here tonight, and uh, hope you're open to the word of the Lord that we'll begin in just a moment. Does anybody know what's coming up this coming Friday night? Our banquet. And uh, we're looking forward to it. I'm really excited about our banquet Friday night. And I think we have around 150 that's uh, signed up to go. And uh, it's going to be a good turnout. It's going to be a lot of fun. Starts at 7 o'clock. It's at Forest Grove Plantation in Denham Springs. And then this coming Sunday uh, is our Christmas service. Our theme is God with us. And that's not just for this coming Sunday. And I'm thankful for that, right? God is with us all the time. And uh, but we're looking forward to Sunday. We're going to hear from our various age groups of uh, our students and what have you. Our praise team is prepared for, again, another excellent and inspiring uh, presentation. And the conclusion of it, of the at least the music part of it, is going to be fantastic. You don't want to miss. It's going to be a great time. And uh, plan to be with us Sunday. And certainly invite your friends and family out with you. This is uh, one of those services that's for everybody. And I uh, certainly want everybody to come and be a part of that. Looking forward to it. Thank the Lord. I want to um, jump back into our Bible study that we started uh, last Wednesday night, <clears throat> and uh, it had to do with the subject of tithing, and um, I'm thankful for the very kind response to it, and if you're not tithing, you should be. If you're not tithing, you're robbing God. If you're not tithing, you're inviting what Malachi chapter 3 said is for uh, literally the devil to come into your life and wreak havoc on any number of levels. Um, God said that if you don't do it, you're cursed with a curse. And I uh, said the devourer will come in and um, wreak havoc. But if you do tithe, oh, the blessing said it last Wednesday night, and I've said it a thousand times. I'll say it again. People said, I can't afford to tithe. You can't afford not to. Uh, the blessing of it is tremendous, tremendous. Um, actually, someone was listening online last Wednesday night and listened to me opine about when people are blessed because of their tithing and whatnot. They'll tell me these things, but they don't want me to mention it confidential so I can the person was listening last Wednesday night and sent the following information we'll withhold their name at their request but they offered up these details 
of what's happened to them since they began tithing. Uh, the person said, once we started giving pre-tax, this is not paying on your net income, this is paying on your income when you get paid before Uncle Sam gets a hold of it and what have you. The person said, once we started giving pre-tax at 10% and were charitable in offering, the person said, I went from $55,000 a year in salary to $120,000 a year in three years. Year-over-year -year promotions, they said, not to mention the $20,000 average bonus for the past two years. And this person attributes that to the fact that they began tithing, began tithing properly, and God blessed them. Who sitting here tonight would not want that to happen to you? don't know what to say if uh, you can't outgive God uh, and he promised if you'll tithe I'll open up the windows of heaven uh, he promised he would do that this person and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds more um, can testify the same thing there's people here tonight that can testify uh, very similar uh, to that so if you're not tithing, start paying your tithes. Just, you say, well, you know, what about my house note and all that? You give the first 10% to the Lord. You give your first fruits. You do it sincerely. You don't do it so he'll bless you and give you a big raise next week. That's not the point. You, you give because the Bible asks you to do that. But if you'll do it with the right spirit, you won't have to worry about your bills and house payment and all that, God will take care of you. And there's people here tonight that would testify very quickly uh, to that end. So we concluded along that line last Wednesday night. So let me begin tonight. I welcome our young folks, our students in here tonight. Thank you for being with us tonight. And uh, we hope you'll pay attention to what the Bible says about tithing. And when you earn money, uh, there's some students sitting in here tonight that if if somebody pays them one dollar for doing something trivial, the first thing they do is go home because I know they have tithing envelopes in their home. They'll get a dime from somewhere and put it in that tithing. That's the first thing they do. They've been trained that way. And um, you won't regret it. You won't regret it. So my premise last Wednesday night was to show you a lot of people think that tithing was introduced to mankind via the law of Moses, and that is not true. The reason they say that is because it's, it's easy to say the law of Moses was done away with when Jesus died on the cross, so tithing is not essential anymore. It's not necessary, and that's not true. And so I showed you last Wednesday night and proved to you via Scripture that tithing, uh, Abraham tithed, Actually, when he was Abram, before his name was even changed, he started tithing to Melchizedek, who was a priest or a minister. Um, and then Jacob tithed. Uh, the Bible is very clear about that. Uh, also, I, show, I, I, I mentioned to you last Wednesday night that there's been numerous uh, archaeological finds and whatnot 
that proves that there were other nations of people uh, outside of the Jewish people that paid their tithes. So tonight I'd like to talk to you because you can find all this stuff on the internet that tells you that because the law was done away with whatever, the law of Moses at Calvary and whatnot, that there's no tithing after the law of Moses. So I want to I want to delve into that a little bit tonight, and uh, we'll traverse through uh, the rest of this presentation. Uh, I've already mentioned the Bible says in Romans chapter four verse twelve that and, uh, that and the father of circumcision, which was Abraham, to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. I mentioned that he started tithing before his name was changed to Abraham and God made that massive covenant with him. Abram was tithing before that, uncircumcised, so not a Jew at that point, just a citizen of the world, if you will. Um, And so Paul is writing that if you claim to be the father or the children of Abraham, you should walk after uh, what Abraham did and what Abraham believed and taught and so on. So are we not also called to walk in the steps of faith that Abraham did? Jesus also endorsed Abraham and the works of Abraham specifically. In John chapter 8, verse 39, they, the Pharisees, answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said unto them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. So if tithing was a part of Abraham's life, and especially Jewish people said that he's our father, then Jesus said, why don't you do the works that he did? The implication is is many things that Jesus was referring to, but I will mention to you tonight that tithing was also something that Abraham did, and Jesus even said that if you were the children of Abraham, you'd do the works of Abraham. So if Paul admonished us to follow in the steps of, of faith of Abraham, Jesus also endorsed his works, then we also ought to walk in the steps of what Abraham did. This is a New Testament commandment. There are many who teach that tithing has been abolished with the Mosaic law. Nowhere in Scripture do you find such teaching. In fact, the writer of Hebrews declares, And here men that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them, of whom it is witnessed that he liveth. Again, there were cultures beyond the nation of Israel who tithed, and a lot of them tithed to dead people. And and the writer of Hebrews is pointing out to that. But we do not do that. We don't tithe to someone who is dead. We tithe unto the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is alive, and he's alive forevermore. And everybody said amen. So Jesus even Jesus himself endorsed tithing. In Matthew 23, 23, he said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith that you ought to have done, and not to leave the other undone. So if tithing began before the law and was endorsed and practiced after the law, then nobody can argue that tithing was abolished with the law. The New Testament is full of it, of of people endorsing the principle of tithing and even post-Calvary. 
So if you want to argue that tithing was abolished, then you're literally arguing with Christ again. Abraham first gave tithe to Melchizedek on the behalf of the Lord. Melchizedek was the king of Salem, but was also the priest, the Bible said, of the Most High God. In Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, and the Bible said in verse 2, to him also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, of everything that he had. So from the very first mention of tithe in Genesis 14 to the very last mention of tithe in Hebrews chapter 7, the tithe has always been God's plan to support the priesthood or to support the ministry. In the paying of the tithe to Melchizedek, God demonstrated that the tithe is only properly paid to God when it is paid to an ordained representative of God for the representative's own sustenance. So you pay your tithes unto God, but it is for the support of the ministry, and that is a biblical principle. And Abraham established that principle, being at least what we know of as the Bible's first tither, or at least among the first of the Bible's first tithers. The tithes always went to the ministry, who in turn were able to continue the work of the Lord in the ministry. Nowhere in the Bible, and I, I say this to all of these internet people who write stuff, taking scripture out of context and what have you, that tithing is, is not necessary in the New Testament. Nowhere in the Bible do you find any new plan to support the ministry. Tithing has always been and will always be God's financial plan to provide for his work. I want to go through a series of scripture here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 beginning with verse 7. King James reads it very confusing, and I'll explain as we go. Paul said, who goeth, to get the full context, you'll need to read starting at verse 1. I'm not going to take the time to do that tonight. If you want to do it later, feel free. He said, who goes, uh, who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges? Who plants a vineyard and eats not of the fruit thereof? Or who feeds a flock and eats not of the milk of the flock? Say I these things as a man, or saith not the law the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox, the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? Or saith he, it altogether for our sakes. For our sakes, no doubt, this is written. For he that plows should plow in hope, and he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown, if the ministry has sown into the church spiritual things, if the ministry has provided the redemptive plan, if the ministry has prayed for needs, if the ministry has done all the things that ministry does, the list is endless. <laughs> Trust me. Verse 11, back to verse 11. If we, if we, Paul saying on behalf of ministry, have sown unto you spiritual things, it is a great thing, he said. If we shall reap your carnal things, are your blessings, your tithe, your giving. If others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. What he is talking about, particularly in that culture, and it's also in ours. People can be very demanding of us financially on behalf of their needs. Um, the government, for example, can be very demanding. 
and they don't mind taking more and more out of your paycheck every opportunity they get. They'll raise taxes, raise taxes, raise taxes. And we hardly see in our lives any benefit from that, right? These are people that have power over you. Paul said we could use the word of God is what he's saying here. We could use the word of God as leverage. And there are ministers that do it. Television evangelists are notorious for it. Is they will manipulate, they will guilt trip, they'll do whatever it takes to use their power as a ministry. They'll use the word of God and even use it sometimes out of context to get money out of people for their own personal and selfish gain. It is not for the furtherance of the work of God. Paul said he does not endorse that. He's not going to guilt trip people. He's not going to manipulate people. Uh, That's what he's saying in verse 12. He goes on to say in verse 13, Do you not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple, and they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar? Verse 14, Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. Paul is saying here that we're not going to use unscriptural, if you will, leverage to manipulate money. Out of people. So we're not going to do that. But he also, and if you study this, this scripture setting in context, it's, it's a very powerful scripture setting. If you study it in, 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 in context, Paul is also saying here that if the church tithes and the church gives a lot of money, the, it's the pastor's option. If you study the context of this scripture setting I just read, it's the pastor's option to accept all of that or not, even though you give it. He wants to be careful, and he goes on and, and, and later on in this passage of saying we don't want to offend anybody. We don't have to take everything you give. That's up to the discretion of the pastor. Here at Grace Church, everybody pays their tithes. Most everybody does. As pastor, I don't receive all of that. We pour a lot of it a whole bunch of it back into the church. Um, if you'll come out to the business meeting, we'll have the first part of next year, you'll find that out. You'll get the total overall giving of this church and then see how much all the incomes of the church uh, take in and what have you. You'll find that it's a relatively small part of the amount of money that's given into this church. We're very careful because we don't want to offend and abuse the kindness and the, the beauty of this process. So even though the word tithe is not used in this scripture setting, we know that Paul was speaking about tithing because of his words, do you not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple, and they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. Paul then links the tithe of the old covenant directly to the support of the ministry of the new covenant, saying, even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. So Paul said it operates the same way in the new covenant as it did in the old covenant, and the Lord has ordained it to be so. So tithing was not abolished in the New Testament. The tithe is for those who preach the gospel to every creature. So was the law abolished? That's another misnomer, and we've taught this numerous times through the years here at Grace Church. People that are not proponents of tithing said it's not in the New Testament, and so you don't have to do it today. They say the law was abolished. That is not true. 
the law of Moses was not abolished. Part of it was. A small part of it was. But not nearly all of it was. And this is where people don't do their study, and, or at least are not honest about it. There were three parts to the law of Moses. And most of you, if you paid attention to pastor teaching here over the past years, you should know what they are. But there was ceremonial law, civil law, and moral law. There were the three parts. Ceremonial, which was how they had church. Civil law is how they conducted their day-to-day business, legally and what have you. And then there was moral law, which is essentially the Ten Commandments. You had those three divisions of the law of Moses. Essentially, and I'm going to cast a, a fairly broad net here, but essentially only the ceremonial law was done away with at, at Calvary. If it wasn't, we'd be still sacrificing sheep and doves and oxen and all of that instead of doing what we do. I'm kind of thankful that that part of the law was abolished. And if it was not abolished, that part of the law, then we couldn't eat catfish and crawfish, and that would be a tragedy. Oh, that would be a tragedy. I think some people would probably eat it anyway because we do other things anyway. Never mind, we'll get to that later. Uh, uh, so it was, if it was, then the moral law, the Ten Commandments that were given to Moses upon which almost all of America's laws are based would have no effect on us today. Uh, it sounds ridiculous because it is ridiculous. There were only certain of God's laws that were abolished at Calvary. Many of these laws are still in effect today. So how else can we know right from wrong without the law if it was abolished at Calvary? Paul addressed that in Romans chapter 3, verse 20. He said, therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. If there was no law, we wouldn't know what right or wrong is. So God established the law to teach us what is right from wrong. So Paul said it's the law that gives us the knowledge of sin. And we still teach the word of God. We still teach people to know the word of God so that you won't sin. David said, thy word have I hid in my heart. Why? Not that I could be saved, but that I might not sin. And then Paul said in Romans chapter 7, verse 7, What shall I say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except that the law said, Thou shalt not covet. So Paul apparently learned that an attitude, a mindset, a practice that he had was a sin after reading the law, and that was being covetous. So the Bible clearly teaches us that if there's no law, there's no sin. Without the law, we cannot and will not understand what sin is. So it's not possible that the law was abolished at Calvary. Because there are still, in God's economy, things that we do that is a sin against Him. And the law teaches us that, or the Bible teaches us that. Were laws established, or excuse me, were laws abolished at Calvary? We'll get to, to that in a moment. Was the law of tithing abolished at Calvary? Let's go back to the word of God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7. Then said I, the writer of Hebrews said, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do thy will, O God. 
above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin. Thou wouldest not, neither had pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he might establish the second. What the writer of Hebrews is saying here in this writing is referring to the laws of sacrifice and burnt offerings, which are ceremonial laws. Nowhere does this scripture imply or indicate or refer to the moral law or any laws that has to do with tithing. The ceremonial laws of sacrificing animals and shedding blood and whatnot, that was what was done away with. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15, Paul said, Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, and the original, uh, excuse me, for to make him in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. So the laws that were abolished in this writing referred to the law of commandments contained in ordinances, and the original Greek ordinances refer to the ceremonial law. So wherever you see the word ordinances used in Scripture, it's referring to the ceremonial part of the law of Moses. God abolished each and every one of them at Calvary. Colossians chapter 2 verse 14 said, Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Paul goes on to list what some of these ordinances are in Colossians chapter 2 verse 16. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath day, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. So nowhere is tithe and offering mentioned in any of the ordinances that were blotted out by Jesus at Calvary. What Paul was saying here was Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to seek and to save that, not who, that which was lost. He came to save a thing. He came to restore his relationship with mankind. He did not come for specifically one race or sect of people. He did at first, but eventually he went worldwide, and his, world, his covenant with mankind is a worldwide covenant, and nowhere in that covenant do you find tithing was done away with. Again, under the law, Jesus could only preach the gospel to the Jews. The law was a hindrance to the gospel of Christ. The law was a hindrance because it only let him preach to Jewish people. So he did away with it. He did away with that part of the law. And it allowed the gospel to go worldwide. And thank God that happened. That's when Jesus said at the end of at least three of the gospels to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Since tithing began... Some 500 years before the law, when Abraham tithed, it was not a Mosaic law or the law of Moses. Even before tithing was mentioned in the Bible, other Eastern nations, as I've mentioned, of the world have also practiced tithing. One of them is Egypt, and the other one was Babylon. Tithing was not a hindrance to the Gentile people of the world because it was already an accepted practice in Gentile nations even before Abraham did it. So it's not a Jew-Gentile thing. It's not a Law of Moses thing. It's a biblical thing. It's something that God wants to happen. So in Colossians 2.20, Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, you are subject to ordinances. These ordinances are now dead as far as we're concerned. 
It's all of this ceremonial law of Moses of sacrifice, animals, and whatnot. We're no longer subject to those ordinances. We no longer have to offer sacrifices of blood on an altar for the atonement of the sins of mankind. We no longer have to worry about eating pork. I thought that'd get an amen from somebody, but anyway. So tithing, I hope you understand. I've kind of given you the biblical history of tithing. It is still an essential. It's still necessary. And there's not an excuse not to do it because God promised if you would do it, he would take care of your needs. He would open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing and so on so on. So in conclusion tonight, keep in mind that it was because the law could not be abolished that Jesus had to die for us. Part of the redemptive plan was to provide salvation for us, but part of that was to nail these ordinances to the cross, to find a substitute for these ordinances so that the gospel could go on not just for one nation of people, but for the entire world. There, there had to be shedding of blood. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin, so there had to be shedding of blood. And that's what the ceremonial law of Moses required. But Jesus replaced that once and for all when he went to Calvary and shed his blood for everybody once and for all, everyone behind him, everyone in present day, and everyone ahead of him. It was a one-for-all sacrifice, and it did away with these ordinances. So his blood redeemed us from the handwriting of ordinances and from our own sin. So this is the law that Jesus came to fulfill. Jesus fulfilled the law of ordinances by becoming the perfect sacrifice for mankind for all of time. It's very interesting. It's a very interesting study. If you're ever inclined to do it, uh, it's not hard. But Jesus was beautifully priest and sacrificed at the same time at the cross because as a priest, he did away with ordinances, but then turned right around and became the sacrifice uh, that replaced all of those ordinances. It's an interesting study uh, if you ever choose to look into it. But our point here tonight is the biblical discovery of tithing. It was in Abraham's day, the law of Moses, all through the Old Testament, all through the New Testament, and nowhere does the Bible say you don't have to do it. I'll say this and, and conclude. <clears throat> I opened our study last Wednesday night with this, and I'll conclude with it tonight. People oftentimes look for places in the Bible where it will say something specifically for something to be um, endorsed by God, something that's applicable to us, etc. And so they'll look for scriptures, for example, in the New Testament that says, thou shalt tithe, giving one-tenth of all, you, all of your increase to the Lord. And because it don't say that, people say, then I don't have to tithe. I think that's ridiculous. Um, People also look for, I've done some internet studies, the reason I'm saying this, to save you some trouble. People will look for things in the Bible that says, uh, because the Bible doesn't say you do have to tithe or don't have to tithe specifically in the New Testament, then it must be abolished. That's not true either. I don't think God has to say something 12 different times in a number of different ways to get his point across. He He's very clear in the word of God. And I believe if God wanted tithing done away with, he would have said it very explicitly.
where we would all understand it and you would have the vast majority of the church paying tithes and only a handful of people that think it's not applicable for whatever reason. Um, remember the person's testimony that I shared with you tonight at what happened to them as a result of tithing. And there's people all across this building that will tell you, I wouldn't want to live my life without doing it. Um, they're such a blessing. It doesn't mean that your life's going to be perfect and you're going to tiptoe through tulips. Um, you're still going to make mistakes and things are going to happen. The Bible teaches that. But across the board, God will take care of you. And I'll go as far as to say that I don't believe you can be right with God unless you are doing it. No matter what else you do. It's a necessary part of our relationship with God. I've had people that has, Sister Murph knows what I'm saying is true. We've had people that have lied. They've blamed it on other things. They've blamed it on the bank that I paid my, my tithes and apparently the bank didn't, you know, credit the money to the church account. Um, we've heard all kinds of things. But bottom line, if you're looking for a loophole and if you're not doing it and you want to act like you're doing it, God knows. God knows. It's not important that I know. It's important that God knows and he does know whether you're being honest and transparent about it or not. Um, as I said last Wednesday night, um, if you're new to tithing and you know you make a lot of money and one-tenth of what you make every month or every week, whatever, is a lot of money to you, then, then take a couple of months and just start out small. Start out with a fourth of a tenth and then increase it to a half a tenth and then three-quarters of a tenth. At least it's something to get you started. You can't stay there. I'm not saying that's tithing, but it's a start. It gives God something to work with. It's sowing a seed that he can use. Uh, I don't know if that's sound advice or not, but it's worked for other people, and uh, I believe it can work for you. I'd rather somebody give something than nothing and err on the side of mercy, err on the side of grace. So um, grab you some tithing envelopes on your way out, take them home, put them where they're visible in your house, and um, every time you get paid, uh, put your tithe in it and bring it to the bring it to the church or you can certainly do it online and uh, that's the easiest way to do it so um, let me conclude with just one little line of humor and uh, uh, somebody called one time called me and said uh, pastor I made a mistake online said uh, whatever amount of money they were giving whatever it was I don't remember specifically but just for example they said you know I was going to give $500 but I did too many zeros I, I did 5000 um, can we correct that? And I said, no. Um, I mean, once you give it, it's done. This person was about to go into cardiac arrest. And I had to laugh. I couldn't hold my composure any longer. I said, absolutely. We'll call Sister Murphy and we'll take care of it. So even if you make a mistake, we can correct it for you. So don't worry about that. So God bless you folks. Those of you that are so faithful in tithing, thank you so very much. And enjoy the blessing and the covering that God gives you for tithing and giving to the kingdom of God. Thank the Lord. Thank you for being here tonight. And uh, I think we're going to see probably most of you Friday night at the Christmas banquet. Come ready to have a good time, good heart, good spirit, and we'll look forward to seeing you then. If not, we'll see you Sunday morning for our Christmas service. God bless you tonight. Fellowship with one another. Consider yourselves dismissed.